Read the Gospels for yourself. I hope that you're reading through the Bible with me on a regular basis, but read the Bible for yourselves. These self-righteous, sanctimonious, religious people despised the way Jesus would reach out to the outcasts and misfits of society. They criticized Christ for mingling with tax collectors and drunkards and sinners. And in an attempt to insult Him, they said He was a friend of sinners. Can you imagine? Friend of sinners. It's clear. It's clear that in the Gospel narratives that Jesus wasn't only a friend of sinners, He actually loved them. He loved them. He loved being around them. Guess what? He still does. He still does. Jesus loves outcasts and misfits. He loves liars and thieves. He loves adulterers and dopeheads. He loves the kind of people that everyone else gives up on. And in response to the criticism and insults of the self-righteous in His day, Jesus says in Mark 2.17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come to call the righteous, to call the, the uh, not the righteous, but sinners. So today, we're going to look at three parables, and they are among the most famous parables that Christ ever gave us. These three parables give us a clear picture of the love that God has for sinners, for outcasts, for misfits, for dopeheads, for rebels, for people just like you and me. You see, He won't save us until we recognize how lost we are, and how far we've strayed from Him. So let's get to these parables, read them together, let's talk about this briefly this morning. If you're lost, guess what? Today's the day of salvation. Now is the time for the favor of the Lord. If you've been found, and you know what that feels like to go from lostness to foundness, then God forbid you ever look down your nose at someone who's still out there lost. Because God wants you included in His efforts to reach those lost and bring them in. Bring them home. Let's read this together. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Who did He tell the parable to? The self-righteous people. Okay, Context means everything here. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin! In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Anybody ever done that? Been there? Got the t-shirt. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, I think that's one of the most important phrases in the entire Bible. I want you to read it with me. When he came to his senses, read it again. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Read that portion of that verse with me. So he got up 
and went to his father. You get it already. You know where I'm going with this. So we need to get him to say that one more time, right? Read that again with me. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeying your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Listen to the response of the father. My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. And I thank you for these series of parables that you've given us that express to us how deeply you love lost people. And I pray today that you would be glorified in everything that comes out of my mouth, that you would be lifted up, that your love would be magnified here, that we would understand who you are, how you feel, and why you do the things you do. And help us to see Jesus. That we shouldn't be standing in the way of your efforts to rescue the lost, but we should instead embrace our role and our responsibility in working with you to reach those lost. You love them. You love us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to learn today everything we need to know. Help us today, Lord Jesus, to become everything we're supposed to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Four lessons I want us to, to draw from these parables, okay? Just four lessons. Follow along. If you, have, you, have you got your church app? Have you downloaded your church app yet? I hope you have. If you have, the notes are already online for you. You can just follow along. If you haven't, you've got to write it out. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, here we go. You ready? All right, here we go. Four lessons I want you to learn from these, from these three parables here. The first lesson is this. God values lost people. God values lost people. You see, in each of these parables, something has been lost. Now that word lost is just, it, it's, it's loaded with meaning. And for a moment, I just want us to step back and think about what the word lost means to us. First of all, the word lost can mean you didn't win a competition. Lost can mean you didn't win a competition. You know, Vince Lombardi said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And some of us know only too well what it feels to be, a, what it feels like to be a loser in life. You know what that feels like. Defeated, broken, battered, overwhelmed, ruined, destroyed. We know what it feels like to be a loser in life. Loss can also mean you can't find your way. I remember when I was working as a courier before planting the church here, I had to run some documents over to the federal courthouse in Atlanta right at rush hour, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Y'all ever been in Atlanta 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a good day? It's insanity. On this particular day, it was like, I could, I had, it, was, it was just totally irrational. 
There was a guy in the middle of the freeway, the belt going around Atlanta, I can't remember the number, with a refrigerator on a handcart threatening to throw it into traffic as you drove by. There was a rainstorm, not coming from the east where some rainstorm, it was coming from the west, and you could see the dark clouds and the rain coming and the lightning flashing, huge storm coming our way. And then did you know that everything in downtown Atlanta is named Peachtree? Peachtree Street, Peachtree Court, Peachtree Avenue, Peachtree Boulevard. And those are all one-way streets, and you have to know how to navigate. And this was before GPS. I had nothing. I found myself getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the worst parts of Atlanta while this rainstorm is coming from, from the west, and I know i got to get out of here. And this idiot's on the interstate threatening to throw a refrigerator out into the traffic. Dude, I was lost. I was lost. I have never felt so helpless in all my life. I was confused, totally disoriented. I'll never forget that feeling. I was so glad that I finally, because of my maleness, <laughs> stopped and asked for directions. I learned that lesson. When I get lost now, I stop and I ask for directions. But anyway... I'll never forget that feeling of being so confused and disoriented, helpless, and really feeling hopeless. I'm never going to get out of here. Anybody ever been like that? Lost can also mean you don't fit in. You don't fit in. It's like moving to a new town on the other side of the world where you're all alone. No one knows you. No one cares about you. No one places any value in you at all. No one loves you. No one ever calls to check on you. Lost. Now, in our Christian context, when we say people who don't know Christ, we, we, we talk about them as being lost. In our Christian context, we talk about people who don't know Christ as Savior as being lost. And based on what that word can mean, that makes sense. Lost speaks of a person's miserable condition apart from knowing God. Broken, defeated, ruined, confused, helpless, Hopeless, alone, unknown, unloved, devalued. See how that fits? But guess what? In these parables, the emphasis isn't on the miserable condition of the lost things. Listen to me. The emphasis is on the tremendous value the owners still place on those lost things. Oh, it's starting to come home now, isn't it? I mean, you have the owner of the lost sheep. He is willing to risk the 99 he has in order to find the one who was lost. You get that? This widow woman that loses this one coin, she, she will not be content until she has all ten coins in her possession. She keeps looking for that one coin in spite of the fact she's got nine in her, she turns her home upside down looking for the one lost coin. And then when she finds it, what does she do? She spins it and throws a party. And then you have the sheep, the owner of the sheep, excuse me, or the father, excuse me. <clears throat> you see this father in the parable, he continued to long for his lost son to return home. Every day, Jesus gives us the picture of this father who would stand at the end of the driveway wondering if it was today that the son would return home. And then when the son returned, the father gave him a fresh set of clothes, put a ring on his finger symbolizing his return to the family, and he threw a party in his honor. So the, the emphasis here isn't on the misery of the lost things. The emphasis in, in these parables is on the value the owner still have, still holds for these lost things. What these parables do is they tell us no matter how lost a person is, no matter how lost a person is, God still places infinite value on them. He still desires them. He still loves them. He still wants them home. The world may give up on these lost things. And the world will give up on lost people. 
And lost people sometimes will even give up on themselves. But God's not giving up. God's not giving up. And we know, we know that God values lost people like that because of the great price He was willing to pay for them to be found. We know God loves lost people because of the great price He was willing to pay for them to be saved. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ, His only begotten Son, to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still lost, while we were still running away from Him. He sent Christ to die in our place. Listen, the value of something is determined by the price someone is willing to pay for it. Do you realize, do you understand how valuable you are in the eyes of God? He stops at nothing to bring you back home. Willing to pay any price for your redemption, for your ransom. Lesson number one, God values lost people. Second, God actively seeks lost people. God actively seeks the lost. These parables speak of a God who's like a shepherd risking life and limb to find that one lost sheep. This God is like a widow woman who keeps searching and searching and searching until she finds that lost coin. God is like a father who continues to hope day after day after day that his son will finally return home. Jesus says about himself in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If Jesus had a mission statement for his life, that's the mission statement. I have come to seek and to save the lost. And we see that throughout the gospel narratives. You read it on every page. Right now, I'm, I'm in the book of Mark. Just got finished with Matthew. And I see it on every page. Christ's desire to, 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 to find and rescue the lost. Jesus came seeking sinners like Zacchaeus. That old tax collector who had climbed up a tree. He came seeking sinners like Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a self-righteous man who because of peer pressure would only meet with Jesus at midnight. We see, we see Jesus seeking sinners like the woman at the well who'd been married five times and was living with a man, not her husband. We, we see Jesus, He came seeking those caught in adultery. He came seeking blind beggars and lepers and wild men living in tombs. He came seeking fishermen and politicians and radicals and physicians and tax collectors and rich men at the top of the heap and poor folks that nobody else cared to lick about. He sought out the prostitutes and the drunkards and they loved Him for it. They wanted to be with Him because they knew He loved them. He cared about them. He valued them. He even came, listen to me, He even came seeking those self-righteous Pharisees who thought they didn't need Him. And then with the very last breath he drew, before he died on that cross, you see him seeking a thief who was hanging on the cross beside him. This is Jesus. He's actively seeking the lost. He's actively reaching out, trying to bring them back home to him again. He came as a seeking Savior. And you're never going to really understand Christ until you see this very clearly about him. Listen. God is on a relentless search to find and rescue the lost. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners like you and me. That's the, that's the point behind the whole story, the whole Bible. That's the point. He's asking us to buy into that same mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Church isn't about gathering and sitting your butt in a chair and being motivated and entertained for a few minutes by a pastor. It's about getting out of these four walls. It's about talking to those lost friends. It's about reaching out to the gutters, the highways, the byways, and compelling them to come in. How many of, just uh, out of curiosity, this is a rhetorical question, don't answer. How many of you actually invited someone to church this morning? Thank you for that one hand. That's good. I asked you not to raise your hands. You did. Here's an even more important question. How many of you bothered to talk to someone this week about Christ and the difference He's made in your life? That's why He saved us. 
that he might be glorified in our good works, in the way we talk, the way we act, the way we sing, the way we pray, the way we worship, the way we serve, the way we give. This is why we've been saved. It's that we, that God might be glorified in our good works and among those good works that He has prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2, 10, 9, is this work, good work of telling others about Christ, man. He wants us engaged in that mission. That's what He came to do. That's why we're the body of Christ. We're His hands, we're His feet, we're His voice today. He came as a seeking Savior. You'll never really understand Christ until you see this clearly about Him. He is on a relentless pursuit to seek out the lost and bring them into His kingdom, into His family. Now listen, that's for those of us who have already been found. Don't waste your life chasing the things that this world says matters. You spend your time, your money, your energy doing what Christ has saved you to do, and that's reaching out to the lost. Now, He has a strategic way of putting you in a job you may not like, but you know why you're there? Not to get a paycheck. You're there to be a witness. God is good. All the time. I'm a witness. See how that works? If you're here today and you're still lost, listen to me. If you're here today and you're still lost, you're feeling all those feelings we talked about, broken, defeated, overwhelmed, ruined, destroyed, lonely. Here's what God's saying to you today. Through his prophet Isaiah in 55.7, he says, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he might have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God or he will forgive generously. So God places great value on lost people. And God actively seeks the lost to find them and rescue them from their sins. But this leads to a question that I think has to be asked here. If you're lost, are you ready to be found? If you're lost, do you want to be saved? You even know you need to be saved. You see, in these first two parables, the spotlight is focused on God. It's focused on God's desire and His efforts to seek the lost. But the third parable is different. It takes a little twist. It does a little spin right here. And the focus shifts somewhat. It's still focused on God, but it, fo it shifts somewhat to include the activity and the response of the lost son. God is sovereign. God will do what God will do. But when it comes to our relationship with God, our interaction with God, God will do what He will do, but then there is our response to it. How do we respond to Him when He does what He does? Does that make sense? There's an element of human responsibility here that we have to see. If we want to be saved, we have to understand we need to be saved and desire that salvation. Does that make sense? There's a responsibility. God is reaching out, actively seeking. He wants to bring you into His family. You want to go with Him. You see, sheep and coins really have no mind of their own, right? Those first two parables were about sheep. They were about Those things really have no mind of their own. Sheep and coins don't decide to run away and hide. But people do. Sheep and coins, you ever been around a sheep? They're dumb. They're just flat out dumb. That's why I think the Lord uses them so much to reference us, you know. Because we're pretty dumb. Sheep and coin, coins don't make up their mind to run away, to stay hidden. People are pretty good at it. We did it in the garden, didn't we? Adam and Eve, what did they do? The Lord came looking for them. Where were they? Hiding. Who came looking? You see how this all kind of ties together. You see a pattern here, those of you that are with me in the story? You see the pattern? 
God had to call them out from hiding in order to clothe them, to hide their nakedness. Rabbit trail. Sorry, Jen. Rabbit trail. I'll get back on. So, so this third parable is given to us for a slightly different reason. The, the focus is shifting from God, His efforts, and His desires to, to, to rescue the lost, to bring them back home. It now shines a light on our responsibility, what we need to do if we're going to receive the salvation that we've been given and offered it's been offered to us through Christ Jesus. There's an element of human responsibility. So this is the third lesson I want us to learn today and to see today. How lost people should respond if we're going to benefit from God's rescue effort. First, you've got to do this. You've got to realize how lost you really are. You know, most people in our culture, I think, don't understand how lost they really are. They've got something that they have temporarily plugged that God-shaped hole up with, and they think they're good. Drugs, alcohol, money, career, popularity. Now, some of us in this room, we've had all that, and we found out that none of those things satisfy, ultimately. It's a God-shaped hole, and only God can fill that hole. Many people in our culture don't understand how lost they are. Maybe some of you in this room really don't understand how lost you are. I will tell you, you're completely lost without Christ. Sin has a way of blinding people to the awful reality of their lost condition. In recovery, we call it denial. Denial. You can see it in, in the way this lost son lived his life. The lost son undoubtedly convinced himself that the hard times he found himself in, hey, they're only temporary. My ship's going to come in. My luck's going to change. My friends are always going to, they're going to they're realize my need. They're going to come running back to help me. <laughs> Remember all those friends you were out there with? Yeah, where are they, right? They're on Facebook. I'm sure he thought when he started slopping pigs for a, for a living, I'm sure he thought that that would soon lead to something better. But then the Holy Spirit opened up his eyes and he realized how lost he really was. Verse 17 says what? When he came to his senses. Living in sin is insanity. You're driving off a cliff and thinking it's the most wonderful experience you've ever had. You're drinking poison every day thinking, boy, this is wonderful. It's making me so strong. I feel so differently about my life now. It's insane. And it's not until the Holy Spirit steps in and says, wait a minute. I got something better for you. When he came to his senses, I got a great story of, of, of I'm sorry, rabbit trail. Uh, let me share this real quick. We got time. A young man who was in my youth group in Tuscaloosa came by to see me while I was teaching it at Kingwood a couple of years ago. I hadn't seen him in a long, long time. His name was Scott. And he tracked me down through Facebook. That's, Facebook's good for something. He tracked me down. And he shared with me his story. Scott had grown up in a great Christian home. His parents loved the Lord. His parents were actually pastors uh, off and on. And um, but Scott had an older brother that veered away from the Lord, went on his own track, you know, started chasing money and women and stuff like that. And Scott grew up thinking of his brother as a hero. And so when Scott was old enough at the age of 18, he got out of high school, got a job, began to make tons and tons of money as a salesman. He said that he would find himself every day after work at a bar, um, you know, just drinking for a couple hours. Then he'd go home. He was married. Not a very happy marriage at the time. Uh, he was a young guy, tons of money in his pocket. And he said one day as he was sitting at that bar, he was too young to be in the bar, by the way. But you and I both know that doesn't really matter if you're willing to pay a guy enough. Anyway, so he's sitting at this bar. He's about 20 years of age. He's looking at the, people, the other people who are sitting around the bar with him. And I'm going to say something, and I hope you excuse my, my language, but this is what he told me. He said, Mark, as I looked around at the group of people that surrounded me, 
He said, it, suddenly the smell of the liquor, it was making me sick to my stomach. And he said, what the hell am I doing here? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? He said he put the drink down, walked out the door, never went back, and now he's serving the Lord in South Alabama. On their wor- he leads their worship band. I'm, what I'm trying to say is, when Scott came to his senses, what am I doing here? Have you had that moment? What am I, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? You got to realize how lost you are. When the eyes of the lost son were opened, he finally realized how lost he was. And he says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. When he came to his senses, the lost son stepped out of his denial. The lost son stepped out of his denial and realized, I have hit rock bottom. I need to stop digging now. I've always been surprised at how far people are willing to keep digging. At what point do you say, that's as far as I go? I'm letting go of the shovel. God, get me out of this pit. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know. But if you're going to receive the benefit from God's saving effort, you've got to first realize how lost you really are. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Listen, this is a reality for all of us. It was a reality for me at the age of 18. I had to realize how lost I was. I had grown up in a missionary home. I knew the Bible pretty well, but I had no relationship with God, and it suddenly came home to me at a youth camp where I hated what the preacher had to say, don't remember a thing about it, didn't enjoy the experience at all. But I remember the Holy Spirit lifting the blinders from my eyes and unstopping my ears. And He said to me, Mark, i got more for you. And I realized I've been playing religious games. I came to my senses in that moment and realized I wanted all God had for me. All God had for me. I didn't want to dabble in Jesus anymore. I wanted everything He had for me. And it changed my life. That was that defining moment for me. I realized how I'm a good kid. Had a foul mouth, but I was a good kid. Lusted like crazy, but I was a good kid. Maybe some of you are in that same position. You've grown up thinking you're okay. I'm telling you, you're not. Until you come to your senses and realize how desperately you need to be saved, you're wasting your life. Let me go on. The second thing we have to do if we're going to respond and benefit from from God's saving effort is we have to, there needs to be an honest confession of sin. There needs to be an honest confession of sin. In In verse 18, the lost son said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I want you to notice here, guys. Listen to me. He wasn't going to offer any excuses to his father. He wasn't going to go back and say, Dad, you were really hard on me, so I had to leave town. The son didn't justify himself and his sin. The son didn't rationalize away his guilt. The son didn't shift blame and put it on somebody else. Man, that older brother was really hard on me, man. I had to get out of here. The son accepted personal responsibility for his behavior and his actions and his attitude. Personal responsibility. I know we want to blame everybody else. We've been doing that ever since the garden. Who did Adam blame? Eve and God. Who did Eve blame? Adam. We're blaming somebody. Stop blaming everybody else and take a cold, hard look at yourself. What have you been doing? And why are you still operating out of this principle 
that you say is driving your life, don't, aren't you ready to give that up? And walk into the freedom that God created you for through His Son, Christ Jesus? There has to be an honest confession of sin. The Son accepted His personal responsibility for those sins, and He confessed, listen, this is really important, He confessed that His sin wasn't just against His Father, but also against Almighty God Himself. If, you were, if you've been going through the story with us, we watched a video from the Bible Project just a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't seen that video, you need to. It's about sin and about how we're all, uh, all sin is against God. But anyway, Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that sin is anything that falls short of God's plan and purpose for our lives. So whether it harms us or it harms someone else, every sin is ultimately against a holy God. You haven't just hurt yourself. You haven't just hurt, there is no such thing, by the way, as a, you know, as a, uh, a private sin. It hurting somebody. That porn you're watching on your phone or on your, on your computer screen is destroying your marriage. I'm not married yet. Well, it's destroying your future marriage then. It's affecting the way you see the world. It's affecting the way you see the other people in your life. Listen, all sin is against God. Every sin is ultimately against the holy God. So that sin must be confessed to God so that forgiveness can be received from God. Does that make sense? It has to be an honest confession. I am a sinner. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. And God, you alone can give me the forgiveness I need. And finally, there has to be a return to the Father. Follow me here. It's really important. Some of us know these things intellectually. You've got to put feet to it. You've got to do something with what you know if you want it to work. The lost son realized his lost condition, right? He, re he came to his senses. He realized how lost he was. And then you see that he confessed his sin is sin. He took responsibility for it. If he had stopped there, he would not have been saved. He would not have come home. He'd still be out there. I hope you guys are following me. He came to his senses and realized, I don't belong here anymore. He was willing to take personal responsibility for what he had done and said. But if he wasn't willing to return to the Father, he never would have been home where he needed to be. He still would have been out there with the pigs, eating slop. Y'all hear me? Stepping out of denial and thinking accurate thoughts about his condition wasn't enough to save him. Confessing his sin, taking responsibility for his actions, wasn't enough to save him. The son needed to turn around and go back to the father to be saved. So that's what the son did. He actually left his sin behind him. This is the idea of repentance. This is what repentance... We cannot be saved without repentance. Repentance is turning around. You're walking this way. Repentance says, I've got to turn around and walk this way. Not think about turning around. A lot of us are good at thinking about turning around. It's just that we never turn around. I'm thinking about turning around, getting closer and closer to hell with every step. At what point, and here's what we do too, boom, boom, boom. At what point do you stop hitting the wall, turn around, and go back to the Father to be saved? Does this make sense? We see here a clear pathway to the blessings God has provided to us through His Son, Christ Jesus. We have to come to our senses. We have to confess our sins and take responsibility for them and then we need to turn around and walk back toward the Father. Some of you might need to do that this morning. I don't know. But until you do, you're still out there. You're still out there. You're still lost for all, for all intents and purposes. Good intentions will still take you to hell. Here's what I want you to see today, because then the focus shifts back to the Father. The focus shifts back to the Father and His attitude toward this lost son who comes home. 
before the son could get any words out of his mouth, the father runs to greet him, throws his arm around him, and begins to lavish his love on that son, kissing him. Dad, stop, stop, man, quit. No, no, I bet the lost son was happy to receive those kisses because I'm not, he probably didn't know what to expect. See, a lot of you have been taught that God is like some great big ogre and he can't wait to spank your butt when you get home. That's not the God described for us by Christ Jesus. It's a God whose arms are open wide. Who can't wait for us to come home so He can wrap those arms around us and love us back to life again. The father turned to the others in his household. And he said in verses 23 to 24, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to what? Celebrate. Celebrate. This is the response of the father when we come home. He throws a party. Not a spanking party. A lavish my love on you kind of party. Suddenly we begin to experience all the blessings that come. The forgiveness that flows. The freedom that we begin to live in and walk in. The fellowship that gather around us and love us back to health. And, and provide account. Man, I'm telling you, it gets good. It gets good. But there was one. There's always one, is there not? Don't be that one. There was one who didn't like, who didn't feel like celebrating with the rest of the family. That elder brother. The elder brother resented, resented the return of that lost son. I think the, the, the text makes it clear. The elder, the elder brother resented the return of the lost son because he was greedy. The elder brother would have been perfectly happy if, that, if, if the money taken by the lost son had come back home. He'd have been happy. But there was no love for that lost son at all. He, he resented it because he was self-righteous. The elder brother would have been happier if the father had rejected that lost son, or at least made that punk a servant in the house instead of a son so he could lord it over him. You get the idea the elder brother just wanted to be able to put that younger brother under his thumb and just... And this is where Jesus brings these three parables back to their starting point. The Pharisees in verses 1 and 2 are just like that older brother. They're greedy, they're self-righteous. They're wanting all of God's blessings for themselves. They're looking down on lost people because they see those lost people as unworthy and undeserving. But the point is this, and this is the point that the parables here, I believe, are trying to drive home. Lesson number four. None of us is worthy of God's favor. There's nothing about you that makes you worthy of God's favor apart from the fact that at some point you came to your senses and you confess personal responsibility for your sins, and you returned home to the Father who lavished His love on you. You don't deserve it. <laughs> We've all been lost. We're all sinners. We're all outcasts. We're all rebels. We're all misfits. We're all... Yeah. Come on, y'all. For once you were rebels and sinners and lost in your sin, you were enemies of God. And yet God in His great mercy God in His great mercy sent us a Savior who paid the penalty for our sins, died on a cross so that you and I might live. I'm telling you, not one of us deserves the favor of God. None of us is worthy of His love. Yet this is true about God. He loves us all anyway. And God wants to bless us all by bringing us into His family and making us His sons and His daughters. No matter how lost we might be, no matter how far away from Him we think we are, no matter how close we think we are, the Father wants all of us to be home with Him. Again, it gets back to this. Y'all, we're about to talk about it this, this week. I'm going to go ahead and jump into it. If you're not here Wednesday night, you need to be. The whole purpose of the Ten Commandments and the sacrificial system that was laid out in, in, in the law 
and the tabernacle that they were given instructions to build is the fact that God wants a place to live with His people. And He's provided for us commandments that help us live in healthy ways with each other and with Him. And when we screw it up, there was a sacrificial system put into place that erased that and enabled us to, to treat uh, for, for Him to forgive us and keep us in those, those right relationships, right? Well, God, God, through Jesus Christ, did the very same thing. He has provided for Himself a way to live among us. Where does God live now? Our hearts. Our hearts. He all wants us to come home. He wants us to live with Him in harmony and unity and love. This is the point. Jesus is trying to drive it home in these messages. These little parables about lost things. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I'm going to get Mike and Chris to come back up. We're going to worship the Lord for a few minutes. We already learned this in a previous parable. Everyone in this room falls into one of two categories. You're either in the lost camp or you're in the found camp. You're either in the saved camp or you're in the unsaved camp. You're either in a living, loving relationship with God or you are outside of a living, loving relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And I'm not here to stand in judgment over you. I have no idea. I have no idea which camp you fall into. That is between you and the Lord. But I believe right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about the condition of your life, about the condition of your heart. To those who are in this found camp, to those who have been saved by the blood of Christ Jesus, to those who have confessed their sin and repented and turned to God, and you find yourself now in a living and loving relationship with the Father. You're back at home with Him. Let me reinforce the mission that your life now has. That mission is to work with God to rescue other lost people. You are to glorify Him through the good works you do. Everything you do should be for the glory of God. You are salt and light. You have a mission now. That mission is to glorify the Lord so that He can use your life, your words, your example as a testimony of His goodness and His grace and His mercy and His truth. If you're in this found camp, this saved camp, if you've come home, let me remind you, your life is to be lived for the glory of God. You are to work with Him to reach other lost people to bring them home. If you find yourself in that other group, that lost group, that unsaved group, you find yourself out of fellowship with God, you're not in a living, loving relationship with God, and all of those feelings of being lost you find yourself struggling with today, with no end to them, no hope in your life, defeated, broken, overwhelmed, ruined, destroyed, helpless, hopeless, disoriented, confused. If those are the feelings that most often characterize your frame of mind, the condition of your life and heart, then let me tell you there's hope for you today in Christ Jesus. The Savior is seeking your life. He is seeking your soul. He is wanting to bring you back into fellowship with Him. He is wanting you to know His peace and His joy and His hope and His love. He wants you to experience forgiveness he wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to have a family of brothers and sisters who will support you and encourage you. 
God has made all of this available to us through the salvation given to us by Christ Jesus. He wants to change your life inside out. I'm not here to stand in judgment of anybody. I am not God. I do not ever want to think that I have a right to sit on His throne. But I'm about to pray a prayer and I want the Holy Spirit to speak to every heart in this room this morning. And I want the Holy Spirit to give each one of us a clear picture of the condition of our lives right now. What camp are we in? If I find myself in that saved camp, am I fully embracing this call God has on my life to be a witness, to be a testimony, to be an example to those who are lost? And if I find myself in that lost camp, that unsaved camp, do I realize how lost I am? Am I willing to confess my responsibility for what I've done? And am I willing to come home? Am I willing to come home and let God do for me what He wants to do? And that's love me back to life again. Father, I praise Your name. I give You glory. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the Spirit of God that I sense is moving in this place. I, Spirit, I ask You to have Your way in this room. Examine every heart. Search every life. Test every thought. See if it comes from You or from someone else. Lord, I pray that You would have Your way in us. That the name of Jesus would be glorified today. That those who are in the family of God would renew a commitment to be Your ambassadors to this world. Ambassadors of reconciliation. Calling out to men, come, come, and be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. Those who are lost, I pray in the name of Jesus, today would be the day of their salvation. That they would find that now is the time. Now is the time to experience God's favor. I pray they would turn to You, Lord, and find life. Life to the full. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would bring them to a point of decision. A point of decision. Where they would choose to embrace this precious truth that You love them. That You paid the penalty for their sin on the cross. That forgiveness and freedom is theirs for the asking. If they'll simply turn to You. Turn to You. And find You waiting there. I praise Your name. I praise Your name. Thank You, Jesus.